0: For most of humanity, there's been a system of government where a small minority rules over the people. From emperors to monarchs to oligarchs, the will of the people, the desire for self-determination has been repressed. A group of visionaries envisioned a nation ruled by its citizens, one where leaders were chosen by its people to be held accountable, hence, the United States of America was born. That dream of democracy has been defiled. We find today our nation is run by a minority not held accountable to its people. Instead, special interests and money are the driving forces of our government. At Candidates Platform, we look to restore that vision. Our goal is twofold, to educate voters on the issues of the candidates running for local and state office and to give the citizen the opportunity to run for office by having a simple, intuitive, cost-effective place to manage their campaign. Let's work together to restore democracy to the people.
1: Hello, hello, this is Diego signing on to the CP Show. Hope everyone is having a fantastic Saturday night been a crazy week in the political world and uh, we have a lot to talk about we have a great show planned for you guys tonight we actually have our very special guest miss april Humphreys, all the way up from maine and she's gonna be going over uh kind of just a little bit she was from new york and uh she ran for political office in maine and so we kind of just wanted to kind of get a little bit more understanding of how that works out there and then also as a woman um just kind of the difficulty difficulties that she's run into um, during her electing election season. But uh, as always, first off for introductions, I am Diego and I have my co-host Kathleen Gomez. How are you doing, Kathleen?
2: I'm doing very well. Thank you, Diego. And you?
1: Pretty well. Pretty well. You know, it's been um, kind of getting into the summer heat, so... It's been a, I know. Been a fun time. It is time.
2: beginning in Arizona. <laughs> we're hitting, I think we hit a, we're we going to be hitting either 100 or 99 today. So it's definitely heating up. It's going to be the beginning of a, a hot summer, but just as there's a lot of hot political issues out there and, um, you know, the importance of why you should run for your local office.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, climate change would be a good one. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be some cooler winters. So. I mean, it's cooler summers, but, well, it depends where you are, because a couple people, I got a couple friends um out of Montana right now, and they'd be, they're looking forward to the summer, that was a pretty brutal winter, so, but, um, what, would you like to introduce, April, kind of, uh, give our listeners a little summary, and then we got, I yes. you know we got some great questions, so.
2: Yes, um. I met April when I was living in New York City. We were both involved in educational issues and we worked she worked for uh, a q e Alliance for quality education if I remember right and she was just a a great advocate for children and an advocate for um you know education and in all the things that were going on in New York whether it was uh class sizes, which were huge, or, you know, just the whole stream of issues that affect education, funding, and all that kind of stuff. So with that, she then moved, I believe it was about nine years ago, to Yarmouth, Maine, and ran for local office. So with that introduction, she is a town counselor, I guess, on the, what we would know in Arizona is maybe the city council. And um, I'd like to introduce everyone to April Humphreys. And April, how are you doing? Thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: Um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your work in New York? Because I always admired so much of what you did. And, you know, trying to go back, I was, I was just remembering all the things we worked on. But I'd really like to have the audience hear from you on what got you kind of started in education and, and what you did in New York.
3: Sure. Um, so when I was living in New York, I was the lead organizer for the Alliance for Quality Education in New York City, and um, our organization, which is where I met Kathleen, Kathleen was on, my, on the steering committee. Um, we advocated for fair funding for um, underfunded schools, and we were focused on trying to get um, more funding from the state. Um, there was uh, a legal ruling from the state's highest court that the state was underfunding some districts, um, predominantly districts where Poor people lived, and we wanted the state to um, pay its fair share towards um, towards education in those districts. And so, I just am a really strong believer in um, in public education. I believe that it, it is part of you know what's needed for people to be able to lift themselves out of poverty and um, really have a shot at that American dream. And Um, You know, it was public education was extremely meaningful in my life and being able to sort of, you know, lift myself up out of poverty and and have a successful life. And I just feel really strongly that that opportunity needs to be there for everyone. So I just am really passionate about that issue. And um, that's why I wanted to work for that organization and do that work.
2: And I must say, you did a lot of great work. I know we remember when we went to Crown Heights one time and we're getting parents, you know, to get involved and to have a voice and all that. And and I've always admired your passion and your dedication because you you did a lot of hours, you know, outside of the normal work hours that people have, you know, late at night and on the weekend. And it was just such an honor kind of working with you because you just you just you didn't have children at that time. But you had not. such passion. You <laughs> had such passion for children, and and for lifting them out of poverty. I just have always admired you greatly for that. And with that said, you then left New York and moved to to Maine. I gather about nine years ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And Maine, and what... I should mention that Maine is where I grew up. So it's, okay, I sort of was re- returning home. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
2: Like like a lot of us. And so let me yep. ask you this one question. And then Dago, you can ask questions after that. But. Uh, April, why don't you kind of tell the audience your reason for getting, for deciding to run for local office?
3: Um, You know, I never had planned to run for office myself, and it it was a question that I was asked a lot when I was younger, because I I worked in politics for a time, I worked for an elected official for some time, and, you know, I would meet people and they would say, oh, well, you know, someday you'll run for office, and I, I never really... Saw myself doing that I liked being involved in in policy um, I liked being like I liked working on campaigns I liked being more behind the scenes because I, I wanted to be involved it's it's important um, you know if you care about issues it's important you know who who is in office is important so um, I often was asked I never really thought I would run for office myself um, and you know apparently this is an attitude that a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of women specifically can have that, you know, we don't really see ourselves in that role and, um, uh, automatically. And I think I was reading at, at some point that, uh, somewhere that women have to be asked to run for office multiple times before they really start to think of it as a serious consideration. So I had never really thought about running for office myself. Um, until um, in 2016, when, um, you know, the, the presidential election happened, I um, recall that on that day, on the day of the election, I had organized, um, I'm a leader of a Girl Scout troop, and I had organized with a couple of the other Girl Scout troops um, to have a special election day meeting where we would work towards um, a civics badge and have a couple of our elected officials come and talk to the girls in the troop, and we are we're very fortunate in Yarmouth that our two state level elected officials were women, and so um, and one I think one or both of them both used to be Girl Scouts, and so we um, had them come and. Speak to the girls. We did some activities with them around um, the issue of suffrage, and um, we talked about just how exciting it was that we might um, have a woman president, the first ever. And it was such a big disappointment for me the next morning to have to tell my daughter that that it didn't work out, that we still did not have a woman president in the United States of America. And um, that that was, you know, sort of a barrier that it it was still there. And um, so that was, you know, part of part of my inspiration for running for local office was really because I wanted her and other girls just to have a role model of someone who they knew who was taking on leadership, was taking that step. Um, and it turns out that the town, the elections for town council in Yarmouth were in June, the following June after that election day. So following that November, June, 2017. And, um, when I found out that it was time for candidates to go take out petitions to run, um, there were four candidates in the race and they were all men. And there was not a single woman on the ballot. And I hadn't planned on running. I had only lived in Yarmouth for a couple of years at that point. And, um, you know, I, I just—it hadn't occurred to me to run, but I did talk to a couple of other women I know who um, I I knew had been thinking about running for office at some point, and asked them if they would run. And I said, you know, I'll work on your campaign, I'll help you, I'll support you. Um, and neither of them were prepared to run. And uh, one of them said, you know, but if if you run, then I'll help you on your campaign, and you know, I'll maybe I'll run next year. And so. Um, that was pretty much how it happened. I just decided to do it because I could not bear, my, in my town election, there being no women in the race at all. Uh, so I jumped in. I had a week to get all the signatures that I needed, and I oh got them God. in, and I had to really scramble.
1: <laughs>
2: that's amazing, because that's hard work. That's not easy to do. I commend yeah. you.
3: It's not. Yeah, no. It's not like in New York. I, I had to get 25 signatures. It's not. It's a small <laughs> town. It's very different.
2: <laughs> you didn't have to get twenty thousand, then, huh?
3: No, no, no. It was very different.
1: Well, I think one thing that was kind of uh, what you're talking about was really interesting. Is that I actually um, know quite a few people that uh, that are women and kind of they always kind of had the same thing where you know people would say oh well you know you're very active in politics in fact one of my best friends she was um the president of our uh our national the national the state chair for the national convention for uh the college version of it and um the crnc and uh a lot of people would ask her you know when do you plan in politics she had the same kind of answer where it was you know oh well i don't know if i really want to see myself as running you know, I just kind of want to, uh, you know, kind of help on policy and stuff like that. And I do think there's a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if double standards is the right word, but where people kind of, you know, they, they're a little bit not as aggressive uh, with, you know, people are kind of like seen as, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be like, seen as annoying or, you know, uh, unlikable, which is uh, mm-hmm. one thing that's kind of kind of sad. But um, you did mention also that uh, before, ran, you were very politically active, and I always find it interesting to see kind of the catalyst of, like, what was, was there one thing that got you into politics in general, or was it just kind of a slow buildup as you grew up?
3: Um, I was not politically active until I went to college, and um, I I would say, yeah, it was probably more of a slow buildup. I just... um, originally my first involvement in any kind of political campaign was when I was in college, I went to Vassar college, which is in New York, which is sort of my, you know, trajectory from Maine to New York and then back to Maine. Um, so I was at Vassar and, um, back in Maine, there was a referendum that, um, I'm trying to remember what the wording was, but, um, there was, a. There was a statewide um, gay and lesbian rights group um, here in Maine that was um, fighting off this referendum. It was an effort to limit gay rights. And so I came back to Maine with a bunch of um, students from Vassar, and we all volunteered for one of our spring breaks with this organization, um, not this um, organization that was working against this anti-gay referendum. And that was my first involvement ever in getting, um, you know, getting involved in anything political. Um, and it was an issue that I, you know, really cared about because it affected me directly. And um, I just really, uh, I, I was very nervous about it. I was a shy person. I, you know, was did not like talking to strangers. And the first thing they did was they you know, wanted me to go out canvassing and knock on doors. And it was not... Uh, not what I wanted to be doing at all, but it was really important. And I learned, you know, from that experience and from many similar experiences working on campaigns like that, that, you know, talking to people directly is one of the most effective campaign strategies. And you have to, you have to be able to go out and talk to people. So, um, so that's what I did for that week. It was really, really hard, but it was a really big learning experience for me. And, We ended up um, defeating that referendum, and that felt really good. It felt like I was really part of something that, you know, was successful, and um, it it led me to getting more involved.
2: And how did you bridge that? Then how did you get into education? Because that's how I remember you as an education advocate. Did you, was that just something you, did you study education when you were at Vassar?
3: Um, I didn't study education. Um, I actually studied psychology. And um, I, uh, you know, I think the reason, the reason that education is so important to me as an issue, it really is one of the most important issues to me and why I spent so many years of my life dedicated to working on that issue um, is because, like I said in my introduction, it really had such a huge impact in my life. I would not be where I am today if it weren't for the public school that I attended and the teachers and the staff who worked in that school who supported me. Um, You know, I grew up in poverty in rural Maine. Um, I experienced childhood homelessness. Um, I really was not someone who you would think was going to be successful and go on to, you know, um, an elite private college. Um, I I just did not have that, that, that wasn't my upbringing. Um, I was the first in my family to go to college. Like no one in previous generations from my family had ever gone to college. Um, so it was a really huge accomplishment to me. And the only reason I was really able to do that was because of the resources that were available to me through my public education. And other programs that were there to support me. Um, I mean, obviously, I put in a lot of hard work myself, but, you know, it would have meant nothing without the resources that were there to support me, including the teachers. So it is something that I realize was such a major factor in my life. And I know that not everyone can sort of pull themselves up by their bootstraps the way that I was able to do. But um, I think that people can with the right supports in place and with the right resources available to them, especially educational resources. So I just I really see how that has been such a benefit to me. And the reason that it was so important to me in, when I was living in New York was because I saw that not it, it was one of the first times in my life that I saw not everyone has access to that same level of resources. And it's not right. It's not fair. You know, I grew up in a relatively poor area in rural Maine, and I went to a school that I think was pretty good. I mean, it was good enough for me to get, um, you know, a good education and do well and go on to Vassar and do pretty well at Vassar. And I just, I, I, I see that there are schools in, you know, so many places that don't have enough resources to, to provide what the students need. And so I really just feel like everyone deserves to have that can't.
1: Well, one thing I think that's really kind of a, a good parallel is that it's you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it really is inequity with education. I mean, we actually had another guest on, and we talked about you know just how difference in school boards and everything can be. Just you know, what level of funding goes in, you can really create, be crazy change in the education you get. But also there, is, and there is that kind of especially with you know universities, there is that gap where if you come from a poor area it's really really hard to get into these schools especially if you don't have any resources like uh, like a public good public education and then kind of i think there's that same issue with um with running for office there's such a high right now there's such a high financial cost and such a high um kind of bar to run for even a small office you know i mean you really yep. kind of have to be financially relatively secure and um and I kind of think that's a really interesting thing because what we want to do, our whole thing is, is we want to basically one, get rid of that barrier and make kind of uh, make that skill ceiling much lower, so that basically anyone can run for office and and they don't need massive war chests and massive budgets and they don't need you know to have someone to finance them. But then also kind of what you're talking about with education, um, where we want basically to provide a good public education to anyone who for free who goes on the website to educate themselves specifically about politics and candidates. And I just think what you were saying about, you know, it being so important, I think it's across the board, you know, you are you, you are what you know. And so, you know, to give mm-hmm. access to people, um, kind of. And,
2: and you know, in, in saying that, going back now, you decided to run for um, – town counselor and I mm-hmm. remember you were on Facebook and I was watching kind of the attacks that happened to you probably as a woman coming into the race where there was these four men and I'm not against men don't think that but there isn't an, an, there is a difference in politics It's very very um, acute where it's a kind of always been a men's kind of arena and when women come into it they kind of get hit with a you know, well, what are you, what is your family going through? And are your children going to suffer for the fact that you want to run? Can you kind of tell the audience? And I mean, we don't want to scare people, but it does take <laughs> some determination and it does yeah. take having a thick skin to run for the, these local offices because sometimes local offices are much more vicious than a place like <laughs> yeah. New York, you know, they will tear you apart. So I remember seeing some of the things that you were going through and, and, um, And you just, you had the perseverance to to not back down, but maybe you can explain kind of the obstacles that happened when you were, you know, first time running going into this.
3: Yeah, yeah, Um, it it can be vicious. Um, I know right now in the town next to me that several of the members of the school board are um, facing a recall uh, because of their votes on the school reopening plan. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's really hard because in small towns, you know, these are, these are people you see at the grocery store, you know, all, or, you know, just taking your kid to school and it, it, it can get really feel, it can start, it can feel really personal. Like it feels like a personal attack. Um, for me, I was, uh, I was elected in 2017 and, um, one of the first, things that I did, um, on, on the town council was propose, um, a propose that we, uh, I, I, drafted and presented an anti-racism resolution, um, after the unite the right rally in Charlottesville. And, um, that uh, was, uh, I guess, viewed as a, a, a real, it was, it was viewed as a real surprise or a real sort of turn from the way that the town council here had typically operated where um, it sounds like in the past, the town council really has focused more on, you know, the budget and uh, you know, the street project and the more sort of bread and butter, you know, just town services issues and stayed away from other what people might view as social issues or social justice issues and things like this. So, um, so that was different. Um, but I had the, I had the support to get it on an agenda. And so it was on the agenda and it ended up being very controversial. I was very surprised. I really felt like this was sort of a no brainer thing that our town could just get behind and, put out a positive statement saying, you know, we are opposed to um, this kind of uh, racism and white supremacy that's cropping up um, to set a tone for our town. And um, I-, I was really surprised at how many people came out and tested during the public testimony and spoke in opposition. Um, and uh, it, it, it became, it became, Oh, I don't know what the word is I could uh, the word is to describe <laughs> it. I mean, it, it was very controversial, but it also then after it passed. There was this very long drawn out pro very long drawn out process for it to to get passed. Um, we ended up having holding some special meetings and um, working on different drafts. And um, once it passed, there was a lot of fallout within the town council. Um, the other members of the town council just really, uh, I felt like they were finding ways to sideline me and uh, just a lot of resentment and, um, they felt like, oh, they couldn't trust me, um, because I had done this, uh, because I had brought this issue up. One of them in a meeting had said he was just disgusted that we had spent time talking about this and, that it wasn't what the town council should be spending their time on, and it, it just for the rest of that year, I just felt like anything I wanted to propose just was it it didn't I wasn't able to get a hearing for it. I wasn't even able, able to get things on the agenda. It was I felt sidelined, um, and it was not a functional it was not a functional group. We weren't working together, you know, for the betterment of the town. We were. it it, it turned into sort of this bickering. Um, There was a point at which towards the end of that year where the chair of the town council, ironically, the only other woman on the, on the, on the council at the time had, had made some comment or made some motion about something that was, you know, not at all related to this motion, this issue, this issue was long done, but it was something that um, I had been supportive of and she had, you know, made a motion to delay it or something, and I, I, I don't recall. And she muttered under her breath, "In the paybacks, of, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I could say this word on the radio. I won't say it. But it, it, it was very obvious that they were that she was intentionally trying to sort of delay and delay and delay on certain issues that she knew I wanted to move forward because she it was payback." for that, for the, for the anti-racism resolution. And, um, and yeah, it was a very hard year. There were, um, I would say a few meetings where members of the public came after the anti- racism resolution passed, where people would show up and just, uh, to talk about how, just to, during the, just during the open public comment to talk about how they felt like I was, you know, I was, inappropriate. I was doing and saying things that were inappropriate that were not within my role as a counselor, that I was not behaving properly. I mean, it was really kind of <laughs> patronizing. And the ironic thing is that in order to even get this um, anti-racism resolution moved forward, I needed to have two other people without the, without the chair's approval to put it on the agenda. I needed to have two other counselors um, join with me to say we want to put this on an agenda. That was just those were our council rules at the time that any three councilors could move to put something on an agenda, and I had two other councilors who said yes, we want to put this on the agenda and, along with along with April, and uh, and they were both men, and neither of them I, like got the the vitriol that I got from the community from the other, you know, from the other counselors. I mean, I I was really the one who took the brunt of it. And um, it, was it because I was a woman? I don't know. I could never prove that, you know, but it, it's a fact that I am a woman and they were men and the three of us were involved. And I was the one who it ended up sort of getting pinned on that, you know, she was the one being, um, what was the word they used to describe me? Um, I was not being cooperative. I was um you know, just um Yeah.
2: You <laughs> were being difficult. You were being difficult.
3: difficult. You were... I was being difficult, <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> you had you had an agenda where you wanted to morally to stand up for something and that's always seen sometimes as just being difficult.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And well, and I... Yes, we're going to go for a break, but when we come back, we're going to ask April a very important question, which is is it worth it to go through <laughs> it? And I, I want to hear what she has to say. So, with that, we're going to take a little break.
1: And this might be controversial. You might get in some trouble with this, you know, <laughs> back home. But um, what is the best way to prepare lobster?
3: <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is gonna get me in trouble. Oh, I'm actually vegetarian, so I don't eat lobster.
1: Oh, okay.
3: I know, Sorry. I know. I'm from Maine. And I don't eat lobster. It's Crazy. That, is, that
1: shows how <laughs> difficult you are. April. Yeah, that's that's a very <laughs> difficult <Yeah>. position. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and,
3: don't tell don't anyone. Be so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It'll be tough not to not to sign the recall, but I'll I'll, I'll try to uh, <laughs> I'll try to be against it. <laughs> so let me ask you: You
2: had such a tough year, and and dealing yeah. with you know. Um, the backlash of, of what you felt was important and the rest of the, the council, or most of them, didn't. Do you feel that you've, you've been there now how many years? About four years or three?
3: This is, this is my fourth year, yeah. I'm in my fourth year right now.
2: Now, what other things have you been involved in and, and how do you feel that you've made an impact in the community? Well, I
3: really feel like we've done some great things and there are some things that I'm really proud of. Um, so one of the things I was, a- the only thing I was able to account- accomplish during my first year was establishing a new committee on, um, en- um, environmental, uh, I'm sorry, a committee on energy efficiency and sustainability. And, um, that I worked with that vol- it's a volunteer advisory committee, but I worked with them on a plan to um, convert all of our municipal power usage, uh, energy usage, over to um, a solar array. And so now we get almost all of our electricity that the town buildings and town facilities use um, comes from solar panels. So that was really exciting. And it Sorry. saves the town money because the solar panels, um, the rate that we get comes in lower than um, what we would get through the um, the standard offer. So we're saving money and we have been able to convert our streetlights, um, or we're in the process of converting our streetlights to LEDs, and that is going to save money and save energy. Um, so those are a couple of things that we've been doing. And I know you had mentioned climate change in particular. So um, that's uh, something that's really exciting. And then that committee also is currently working on a plan to turn a Parcel of land that the town has an option to buy—that's a brownfield site into um, a, into a, a solar farm. So those are some really exciting things that, uh, that those are some things that I'm excited about that we've been able to accomplish. And then um, just re- just this past, well, I want to I want to make go back a, one step. Currently on our town council we have four women. So in the four years that since I was first elected. There are now three other women on the town council with me, and we have the majority, for the first time I think ever in Yarmouth history. Wow. <laughs> um, that is huge. So four out of seven. it is huge. And um, there was a vote recently to establish or to sell I'm sorry, to sell town property. And um, to put a majority of the funds into an affordable housing fund for affordable housing development, and it was supported by all four women on the council, and that's how we passed it.
1: Wow, that's hmm, that's really kind of interesting. And I think that's um, kind of a good a good point because I think we all can agree that you know it is it is important to have you know a, a fair rep, you know representation across the genders and to have, you know, a woman running for, for local office. And I guess my next kind of, my, my, and I always wondered, you know, as a guy, I never really had this issue, but, um, you know, have you ever had maybe, like, you know, younger women kind of mention to you or, or, you know, say that, you know, you kind of have given some inspiration, you know, you guys have kind of been, you know, gender equal and everything um, on your city council. I mean, would you, would you say that it's kind of the importance... How would you have seen how how it's played out to have, you know, women running for local offices?
3: Um, I think it's important because, um, you know, I don't want to stereotype by the genders. Of course, men can be concerned about any issue and women can be concerned about any issue. But I feel like... Um, there are certain issues that women tend to prioritize that um, may be different. For instance, women tend to highly value education and investing in social programs. And um, that was one of the things that I really found, you know, related to the affordable housing program that we just have been able to establish. You know, I don't know that we were able to establish that specifically because we had four women on the town council, but I think it does help. And I just feel like um, women more highly value those things when they're in office and um, pay attention to those things a little bit more.
2: And I guess that would like, I know you have a daughter, correct? Yes. Okay. And um, you were talking before about you wanted to, show her that this is something that can be achieved you know that women can be run for these positions and get elected and how important it is and do you do you feel how old is she now
3: she's 11
2: 11 do you feel that she's able i mean because you must make some sacrifices there must yes. be times when you have meetings in the evening and you can't maybe attend something at school or attend some of her whatever it was, she if she's in soccer or something like that. And so you you may miss out on some things that are important in her life. Do you think she sees the relevance of what you're doing and and understands why you're doing it?
3: I think she does. Um, she does get annoyed that I have so many meetings. You know, when I say I have to go to a meeting, she rolls her eyes. She's 11. Um uh-huh. But she also says that she's really proud of me and that she really looks up to me um, for doing what I do. I mean, she knows how hard it's been. I, I've you know been really open in talking in my family about you know the the hard moments that there have been, but there have also been really good times. And she you know, she kind of makes fun of me about solar panels. That's a sort of a running joke that we have that oh, mommy gets so excited about solar panels. But it really has. I really feel like I've been able to make a valuable contribution to my community by you know some of these positive accomplishments that i've had and um i don't know i hope that she sees that and and feels like it's worth it um the position that i'm in the the town council position that i'm in it's essentially a volunteer position um we get paid a stipend of a thousand dollars a year oh my, um a year? so it oh. yeah, a year so, I mean, it's a very, we're a small town. It is, um, and it's really viewed as a, I mean, I view it as a volunteer opportunity um, and it is a huge sacrifice, but you're making a contribution to your local community. And I feel like that's really important. You can really make a difference and you can see the difference that you've made before your eyes in your own home town. Um, that's huge. That's amazing
1: yeah i mean i think one thing that's kind of um you know i i wanted to kind of ask you is you know you did talk about how how hard it is and how you know you had a lot of obstacles but you know you obviously you know kind of did it kind of the old-fashioned way you know getting signatures getting people to vote for you and everything but what was do you think the biggest obstacle when you ran for for your office
2: yeah, you know, for the first time as a candidate, mm-hmm. what did you think was your biggest obstacle?
3: Um, I think my biggest obstacle was just and very few people knew me. Uh, you know, it's just name recognition and and not knowing very many people. Uh, that's I think really hard for a lot of first time candidates. Is that you just if you've never run for anything before, your name just isn't out there.
2: And and that's exactly what what Canada's platform is about. It is we feel that you know we're not going to be the the catalyst that gets somebody you know elected as a senator or as a president, but we can be something that helps somebody who decides that you know. I want to make a difference and I want to give back to my community and I'm going to take the chance of running. But how do I get my name, how do I get my message out there? And what Clan and its platform would do was to be like a one-stop shopping thing where you would go onto the website and people could come to the website to see what you're about, to hear what your issues are, what you stand for. You know, where you're going to be, what your schedule is, how they can volunteer, how they can get to know you. And I think that that probably, what you just said, is one of the hardest things for first-time candidates. And I guess my follow-up question to that would be, do do you think that political parties, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, is that important in a small local race? Or do you think it's more the fact that it's just the person? who's running is the most important thing.
3: Um, I think it can make a difference for some people in their vote. Um, Some people do want to vote for a party, but for a lot of people, it is about just who, like who, you know, and especially with local races, um, one of the most effective strategies I found in in my camp, my two campaigns because I did I did decide to run for reelection so I've been reelected since my first election um, so I've run two campaign cycles now and I've also helped some other people run for local office and one of the most effective strategies is getting all of your friends to put lawn signs on their lawns. It's an endorsement. And in a small town when people are driving by, you know, on their street on the way home and they see, Oh, my neighbor, so-and-so has a lawn sign for April Humphrey. Um, and I really like that neighbor. So, you know, I, they're supporting April Humphrey when I go to the ballot box and I'm thinking, who am I going to vote for? I remember my neighbor liked April Humphrey. Um, Those kinds of things make such a big difference. Um, It it really is more about personal connection. And I also think to a certain extent that the issues that you deal with on the local level, you know, uh, there can be partisan angles to certain things like how big do we want the budget, how like the tax rate and things like that. But, you know, we want to have the streets paved, you know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you want to have the streets paved and not full of potholes. and I mean, I feel like everyone sort of agrees with some of those basics and there's a lot more areas of agreement um, on local issues than partisan disagreements. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: No, it does. It does. And I think the, the other issue I think that, you know, for younger people is that, Really, you know, um, I'm not sure if you if you did much, but, you know, with, the with like, knocking on doors and even with yard signs, it's definitely, you know, y- younger people just kind of don't really want to do that. Um, you know, generally speaking, people don't really want to have yard signs up. They don't really want to answer a door and talk to someone about voting for someone, especially if they don't know them. And I think that's the other big thing is that if you look at everything we, you know, we do in, in our life from, you know, our finances to uh, just even how we interact, everything has really been shaped and changed with, you know, social media and tech, uh, internet and kind of, uh, the com- computers in general. And, and when you look at kind of campaigning, especially on a local level, it's really not that different than how we did it, you know, 30 years ago in the, you know, in the nineties yep. when it was just the same thing. And that's, I think my big thing is, is that I think it's time to kind of update it for, you know, get younger people involved. Um, so that they can kind of take take place in it, because I think a lot of them, you know, in the same way where I think older generations are uncomfortable with technology, I think younger generations are uncomfortable without it, and it's, <laughs> uh, you know, and so, um, where they'll be perfectly fine logging in and, you know, and finding out about it, you know, a, a candidate running for their city council, they'll be very uncomfortable with, you know, when they're going into the store stopping and talking to them, and I think that's Really right. huge because, you know, it's sad, but how many young people vote in their city council elections?
2: Were you, would you be able to, I mean, did you ever have any kind of research or data that showed, um, the, you know, young people versus, you know, like the different markets or marketability of, of voting, you know, who voted? Do you guys do anything like that in your town?
1: Um,
3: I do... When I, my, in my two campaigns, I have looked at the voter file for my town and I have, um, you know, parsed it by voting history and um, by age. Um, I'm, I don't recall off the top of my head what the statistics are in terms of the young adults that, who live here and voting, but I think it's probably relatively high. We have relatively high voter turnout generally. Um, I will add that I feel like just being a member of Generation X, I um, I I grew up with technology, um, and so I feel like I am from you know the generation that at least I I think kind of bridges that divide. Um, I did use social media in both of my campaigns, um, but not everyone does. There are a lot of candidates who run for town office here who don't have Facebook pages, don't use any social media, don't have a website and just, you know, rely on the sort of word of mouth and lawn signs and, you know, letters to the editor and the local newspaper and, and that's it. So, um, uh, I don't know that I I can't say for sure that no one before me had used social media, um, in a, in a town campaign, they may have had, um, you know, a Facebook page or something, but, um, I did, uh, I I was really active on social media, and um, that was a way that I was able to get my name out there.
2: What do you think was, like, when you look at advertising in your local newspaper, I mean, some towns don't even have a local newspaper anymore, which is really sad. Um, I know my hometown doesn't. It's now a county newspaper. But the cost of running can get pretty pretty up there, right? If you've got to pay for flyers or you're going to put some kind of, you know, um, information. And I remember doing that, you know, posting. If nobody answers, you put a little bag on the doorknob and it has your information Mm -hmm. on it to print flyers. Or to get um, radio ads or, you know, ads in the local newspaper. That can be kind of costly. Did you do any of that stuff?
3: I did not do any radio ads. I did not put ads in the local paper, We have in my town, I think it just went out of business, but we had for a long time a little paper called referred to as the shopping notes, which was a free newspaper that you got at the supermarket. And Uh um, I put an ad in there and it cost a couple hundred dollars. It was not super expensive and I put, I ran it for two weeks, I think. Um, So my budget was actually really small compared to any of the other campaigns I've ever worked on for office, like in larger markets. But like I said, it's a very small town under 10,000 people. So it's very different and very compact geographically. Um, so I got 100, I think I got 100 lawn signs total. And, um, And that was what I needed to to put on my friend's lawns and to cover like some of the major like intersections in town where people drive by a hundred lawn signs. So that's just to give you a sense of the scale. And um, I did lawn signs. I did a couple of direct mail pieces, which I did myself. Like I stuffed the envelopes and bought the stamps at the post office and (laughs) mailed them out. Um, Maybe, you know, like a thousand letters total. And I um, did a postcard mailing And I, um, also had a door hanger that like what you had said, like that you would leave on the door if you're door knocking and, um, and no one's there. And I also did, as I said, I did social media. I had some paid social media ads and, um, I think that was it. I did, I did have like, there were a few people who wrote letters to the editor, which is free. Anyone can write a letter to the editor. And then I would publish those on my Facebook page and on my Twitter or, you know, put them up there to help get more eyes on them. And, uh, my total budget was under $2,500. wow.
2: And I think that's really, you
1: know, I think that's really, really what you did. I mean, that's, that's so, that's really just shows really the biggest thing when you're running for office, you know, getting your name out there and, and interacting with people and kind of having them know who you are. And that's really our whole role. I mean, really want it to basically create a place where, through the ease of just, you know, being at your desk or on your computer, you can reach out to people who are interested to hear what you have to say when they're running for office. You know, I mean, people people ultimately, they want to know and they, who's running for office. They want to be able to contact them a little bit easier. It's very complicated and not easy to do. Um, and we, we want to basically facilitate that because we think it's so important to, not only have transparency in our local offices, but also to just make the job easier for, for people, so that you don't have to spend so much time doing, you know, doing basic stuff, and you can kind of, you know, work on what your policies are and, and, and kind of make yeah. it so that we have more people running. And that's really and important.
2: I think probably you know this election didn't take place during the COVID, you know, obviously, right? But I I imagine that that if it, an election had been going on during the covid times you would have had to rely more on social media because you wouldn't have been able to go door to door and maybe well my re-election
3: was during my re-election was was during covid yeah yep oh wow it was last summer
2: and how did you uh, do it yeah
3: I did no door knocking. I, instead of door knocking, I focused on phone calling. I did all the other stuff that I had done before that I mentioned, the lawn signs, the letters to the editor, um, you know, um, the one ad, the postcard mailing, the direct mail. But instead of doing canvassing like door knocking, I stayed at home and I called people on the phone. And people were home because there was a a (laughs) shutdown and so people were home and they were kind of bored and so it was okay. They didn't mind talking to me. That that probably
1: was a good thing. Yeah, I guess maybe that actually kind of helped with phone calls and I never thought about that. Yeah, it probably was um, a little bit easier. That's actually a funny kind of little thing is that I actually refused. I did a lot of work for different campaigns um, in college and I refused to ever work for any of them. I would Pay, I would, you know, volunteer and I yep. do a lot of work with them and I knew a lot, a lot of them, but I refused to ever take any money because if I took money, I had to make phone calls
3: because I was working. I know. <laughs> so, I know. I totally get that because <laughs> I, it, phone calls are so hard. It's one of the hardest things. I mean, I know some people who don't mind it, but I really, it, it's not my favorite. I, I like talking to people, and so once I got people on the phone, I had some really good positive conversations, and I was. I made good connections and I had people, you know, share their their thoughts with me and that was really positive. But um, you know, every time every time I pick up to dial another number, I okay, I'm gonna psych myself up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I learned, and that, I learned guess- that all from organizing, right? That was like all the organizing yeah. that I did at AQE. Yeah. <laughs> and before that, it's like, as I said, like the first campaign I worked on, I had never done anything like that before. And I was so nervous and it was not in my nature. I had to learn it. And so I would say, you know, to you, Diego, and to like some of the young people who are you're saying, like, you know, don't necessarily want to do that, um, you know, to think about giving it a try, because I, it's not something that everyone is just good at. Sometimes you have to put yourself out of your comfort zone and give it a try, and you do get better, and it does get easier. It I, it never got easy for me, but it got easier, and I got be- good at it, actually, pretty good at it.
2: Huh. And and I guess in, in rounding kind of up, because I know we're going to be, it's already almost close to, to ending the show, if you... Were to give a pitch to people who are listening, and they're thinking, "Oh, I'd like to run for school board, or but you know, maybe I should run for city hall, or maybe I should run for you know county supervisor, county recorder." But, but I don't know. I don't know. What would your pitch to them be on the importance of doing this?
3: Um, well, I would say if there is if there's an issue in your town or your community that you care about you definitely should give it some serious thought because every community needs people who are caring and passionate to get involved. Um, that's what makes our towns, you know, move forward. And if there's, if there's something, you know, if there's an issue going on in your town that you care about, that's the way that you can get into a position to actually do something about it. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage people to get involved if you're not sure and you're on the fence, I think, you know, go to some meetings or listen into some meetings and, and, and see what they're talking about and what they're making decisions about, because you could be in the seat making those decisions. Um, a lot of towns also have um, advisory committees and other sorts of committees that you can get involved in as a volunteer, um, just as, as a, an appointed volunteer where um you might advise the town council or the city council on different issues and you can look for a committee that works on an issue that you care about and it's a way to get involved with maybe some lower stakes and start to get some um experience in town governance um i know we have a a range of committees in our town that work with the town council we appoint all of them and they bring us proposals, they develop policies, they bring us proposals. And, you know, we have some back and forth with them, but then a lot of those in some form or another get moved forward and voted and put into our our town codes. So, you know, there are ways to be involved in the process without necessarily running for office right off. If you're not sure, I would say get a little more experience, get involved in a way that you feel comfortable, but push yourself a little bit to get out of your comfort zone and just know that you have valuable information you have valuable experience just by virtue of being a citizen of your town and someone who cares, you know, that I I feel like a lot of people don't think that they could be in that, in the hot seat, in the making the decisions, because they don't feel like they have enough experience. But if you live in a town and you pay taxes and, you know, you uh, obey the rules and you're, you, you know, you follow the, the laws of the town, you know, you have the experience to be involved in the self-governance of your town. So, you know, don't right, feel like you need to have uh, be an attorney or something just to, to run for office.
1: Right. I'm a preschool
3: can, teacher. I,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyone can. And that's, I think, really the, the big thing we want to say is that, you know, you can yes. do it. We'd love to have you. But we are, unfortunately, running short on time. We are about to be closing out. So I wanted to thank you, April, for coming on the show with us. It was really interesting. I learned a lot. Um, I was didn't learn about my lobsters, but okay, we'll, we'll move past Sorry. That. Uh, um.
2: <laughs> and, and see, April, I'm so glad you came on because I know you thought that an hour was going to be, oh, my gosh, what are we going to talk about? But it, it's such no, a – No, you're right. Uh, it
3: went Bye. <laughs> it
2: yeah. went by. And you have such passion about it, and I'm just, I'm just so uh, admire that that you did run and that you did face all this stuff and you went, got through it. And um, took my hats off to you for doing yeah. what you do.
1: Thank you, well,
3: thank you very thank you. much.
1: Everyone, I hope everyone has a fantastic rest of their Saturday night. We will be back on in two weeks on the 15th, and we look forward to have a great show for you guys again. Everyone, have a great night. Have a great weekend.
2: you are all...